Hello, everyone. This is Stuart Gandalf. Welcome again to another podcast. Today, I am pleased to introduce you to another friend of mine, Chris Barlow, who is a principal at Barlow & McCarthy. And uh, she is another expert in our field of the world of healthcare marketing. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Stuart. It's so fun to be with you. It's going to be a blast. I just know it. So um, Chris and I have known, each, known of each other for many years and built our relationship over the last several uh, have lots of friends in common. And, you know, I've always regarded Chris highly as a true expert in the world of building doctor referrals and um, really kind of at the epicenter of that world. Chris, do me a favor. Some of our listeners may not know of you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and your company and what you do. Yeah, thanks. And um, it has been a good longstanding relationship. And I think those relationships like you have with practice marketing and we have with referral growth are are unique and different in the market i think there's a real good place for them so my background is that long long ago i was an rn which does help me every day uh, i got a master's in business but for the last two decades and more um, i've been in this space of consulting we're a, a boutique consulting firm uh, we're very deep in terms of our expertise in a very narrow framework of those physician relationships and the consulting that is part of that. We do referral development or liaison work is what lots of people call that. And we also support in-house physician recruitment. So within those, we're soup to nuts. Um, we help with assessments, building programs. We do a lot of work, which you know, Stuart, in training and talent development. We help people grow their business and develop the talent they need for that success. It's a great little niche. For sure. And, you know, it's funny. One of the things, Chris, we talk about when we speak in our seminars or write, one of the most common things that seems to resonate with people is that there's really six ways to grow a healthcare organization. And there's really just six in terms from a marketing point of view. And so... As a little reminder here, um, the first five would be um, patient experience or internal marketing is a key area. Uh, the second category would be digital marketing, and that's everything that you're familiar with digital, right? Websites and paid search and programmatic and all those kinds mm -hmm. of things, reputation. Third category is traditional advertising. Fourth category um, would be, um, uh, let's see what I'm jumping past, branding, uh, public relations, and finally, uh, the one that nobody really thinks about, which is building professional referrals. How do I get doctors to refer? And so whether we're working with a hospital, a practice, or even on the pharma side, uh, which is its own unique world. So there's some cousins here between the hospital world that Chris works in and um, mostly in the pharma world. But the idea of building relationships uh, with doctors is really you know a, a huge area and it's a crucial area in marketing. And so oftentimes... When I'm talking to prospective clients, whether it's with a hospital or multi-location practice, the fact that we think about, uh, you know, doctor referrals surprises them. Like, wait a minute, aren't you a marketing company? I'm like, well, how can you possibly try to grow a business for an oncology practice without thinking about the doctor referral side of it, right? It's really, really important. So we've always regarded this particular area as important and critical. And it's also funny, Chris, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, as you know, I've done seminars for years and for many years, I used to talk about, you know, doctor referral building and how you can build doctor referrals. And a lot of this time, and you and I have compared notes before, and it's shocking how similar our philosophies are in this category. 
So we would teach it and give all the best practices. Um, but the um, interesting thing was is people don't actually do it. That's where you need beyond the teaching, the actual training part. And so the, I guess the key factor though that I wanted to make as a point now is as you start thinking about building doctor referrals, you know, the gold standard is, you know, one doctor calls another doctor, builds a relationship. And my joke there is, and for years we, you know, in vain tried to convince, for example, you know, general surgeons to build relationships with the primary care. And, you know, A, they're super busy, and B, you know, they would say to me things like, Stuart, come on, I don't want to be a salesperson, right? And we totally get it. So the role the physician lays on who can help build these relationships has really grown over the years. First on the hospital side, and then over time, um, the sophisticated practices, it's, it's, it's really common there as well. So tell us about like the idea of a, what is a physician liaison? What's the purpose of having a physician liaison? You know, what, because uh, I think a lot of people aren't even familiar with this concept of building doctor referrals of physician liaisons. So give us a physician liaison 101, please. Yeah, I think you're exactly right, Stuart. And, and even deeper than that, I think there are people who think of liaisons for the liaison work that was done a long time ago, where it was more about a customer service model or taking brochures out versus a growth partner. Um, for either the practice leaders, the specialists, and or the health system. So today's liaison role is really very much about face-to-face, -face, or now it's virtual interactions, with targeted referral sources to provide education with the intent of earning referrals. And you know, as I as you were describing what used to happen with let's have the surgeon call the family medicine doc and start a relationship, the challenge we see in today's environment is it's so stinking competitive that one call may not be enough either. So liaisons do an excellent job of staging that connectivity doctor to doctor and then making sure there's good follow-up with it to a place where we measure are we having an impact. You know, that's really interesting because um, it's, again, it's so fun to talk to you from all these years of you know parallel pathing and this stuff. You know, it's interesting because we talk about, to build upon what you just said, People often ask, well, what is the key here? And it's like, well, there's a couple things. One is a series of positive, constant contact, right? Staying in front of them. Constant, yes. You just have to be consistent because what has to happen is when that doc needs a specialist, whatever specialist I've been talking about has to be the name that pops to the top of their list when they're with a patient. Another thing I'd like to talk about, and this is actually sort of an above and beyond the questions that we had prepared today, is um, another thing that I think is really an interesting insight, and I want you to comment on this. When we're talking, I would often talk about, you know, what matters, like how do you win these referrals? And so things like, um, you know, promptness of, you know, being able to get a patient in and how your office communicates with their office and the staff to staff issues and, um, you know, whether they're you know, presumed as, you know, uh, good doctors. But the interesting thing is all these different things that are involved with like why they would choose a particular referral source or plans or whatever. You know, a lot of people have asked me, well, isn't it just if you're a good doctor? And my point has always been, well, quality's presumed. Quality's um, you know, presumed. So well said. Enough. Yep. Yep. <laughs> 
So tell us more about like, you know, what, what are some of the things that we're looking to do if we're a physician liaison? Maybe expand upon, I just started that list of like what, who wins the referrals besides being, you know, a good surgeon, which again, quality is presumed. But beyond that, what other kinds of things do you hear over and over again the referring doctors are looking for? The biggest piece of this, Stuart, is it has to be needs-based. So liaisons or other surgeons, no matter who's talking to the referral source, they've got to be at a place where they understand this is never about what we have. It's always about what they need. So good liaisons start from understanding what's on their list, that list that you started. But if I go in and just pitch, we do, we have, we are, I, I'm going to be tuned out as quickly as a lot of those brochures or other things that they might have already received, right? So um, I, I actually, I did a book on this a, a, a few years back, and we asked physicians, uh, what do you need from your peers when you refer? And the number one thing was exactly what you said, quality and safety. But but how do they judge that, right? So if if we feel like our quality is better, I need to come prepared with being able to talk about how we judge quality. If I'm representing an orthopedic practice, I need to talk about what quality is for us. Um, so the second thing is how the doctor meets their needs or expectations in terms of communication. Um, third on the list is um, access. So. Um, and that's what you talked about. So they want to be able to get their patients in quickly. They don't expect every patient every time, but if they take the time because they've got somebody with an acute condition, their expectations are another physician would do the courtesy of responding to them. So it, it's very much the list that you described and started, but it always starts with a conversation with the doc to say, what's mattering for you right now? And how are you looking at this? And I also have to have the intelligence to understand where's the business going right now that I hope to earn? Because, you know, it's not as though those patients are just lingering in their waiting rooms with bad hips. They've already found an orthopod. So our challenge here is what can I do to differentiate and shift them away from an existing referral source to our doctors? You know what is so funny, Chris? That's why I like you, or one of many reasons, but how incredibly philosophically aligned we are. So I used to say almost the same words, and one of the things that I was, my version of the question was, what's most important to you about how we take care of your patients? That singular question is a place to start. And this is really just sort of professional sales, right? This is what good, not, you know, um, car salesmen from the 30s, but truly professional salespeople do these days. It's needs-based. We're trying to understand. And what the funny thing, though, is, and here's the thing that I'll see if you have a comment on, is that my uh, doctors and, you know, hospitals and people, people we worked with before, when they actually do what I just suggested, asking that question, what the greatest thing is beyond do they get all kinds of data, but I've heard comments back like, you know, nobody's ever asked me that before. So it's actually a relationship builder. I'm curious if you have any comments on that. Oh, I totally agree. You know, it, in this world and in this pace where everybody is pushing things at you, um, as we do sales trainings with teams, we talk a lot about this piece of how much are you pushing at them versus what are you pulling out? And, you know, truth be told, the best liaison conversations that I had when I was doing it, and it's still the truth, 
is when I'm talking about 30% of the time and I'm asking and guiding good questions so that that referring physician is talking about 60 to 70% of the time. Again, these are the kinds of things we, I love it, Chris. We, we are definitely on the same page on these things. Um, so, uh, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, that it's funny that, you know, hospitals started this and it's kind of evolved. It used to be, yeah, drop off bagels and, um, you know, materials and, you know, handle customer service problems and all these things. And we talked about the evolution a little bit to where now practices even do this. But, you know, as we've seen, you know, it continues to evolve, of course. So tell us a little about the evolution, you know, maybe in a little more detail and particularly, and then from there, like where we are with COVID, like what are the trends you see in this whole world of physician liaisons? I would say we've, we've hit on what I think are those biggest shifts. It's away from just going in and saying, what are we doing wrong? Um, and that whole customer service piece. I think in most practices and in most hospitals and health systems, there, there are still some problems that can easily be solved, but most of the problems are those big, hairy, audacious issues that if any leader in any health system could fix them, they would have. So we've got to move off of just going in and saying, what are we doing wrong? Um, so I would say the customer service piece is still important. We still need to field those problems, but it's going in with um, much more advocacy and relationship and then replacing that with intentional messaging. And it's that growth piece. Um, I, I think with the COVID piece, liaisons have a huge role right now. A lot of practices and hospitals are using them um, to, to re-energize what's happening um, as there's more access. And, and what we're seeing right now, Stuart, is instead of it needing to be maybe in those um, routine clinical areas that the organization was always interested in growing, Maybe right now we've got access in some different areas or some more important areas. So it's some nimbleness and it's doing a lot of this virtually until we can do good face-to-face -face visits. Um, picking up the telephone, three to five minutes on the phone, thinking about how, you know, how can we help you with some of the access of some other areas. All of that has been really crucial with COVID right now. I want to pivot a little bit. One of the things that um, you and I have had some fun talking about in the past and where we go, oh my gosh, we, we start finishing each other's sentences. And so I'll set this up this way. Uh, one of our very favorite posts we were written in the past or I wrote in the past was sort of a um, synopsis of the litany of the mistakes I've seen when it comes to this category. And so we always talk about the positive, but like what are some of the areas that trap people up? And our, our blog post I'm referring to is how to ruin a perfectly good physician liaison, which is <laughs> a, a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's real. There's so many places that are just like warning, warning. And I'm like, nope, oh, don't do that. Up, oh, don't do that. Up, oh, don't do that. Because, and then the, uh, the client will ask me why. It's like, well, I've seen this done 25 times and of those 24 failed. So there are just some things that are classic, you know, sort of, um, I guess under, maybe I was going to say bonehead, but maybe naive mistakes that we see people make over and over again. So help, our, our, I've got a big list and I know we have a common list, but let's, let's start with you. Tell us about some of the things that are just, 
you see all the time and are doomed to fail every time because I think that's as, almost as important as what to do is what not to do with this role. Yeah, boy, no kidding. And I will tell you my number one is lack of focus. Um, so they hire somebody for the field role and then they have them doing um, either all things physician or all things marketing. And all of a sudden you hired somebody because you want them in the field and they're spending 70 to 80% of their time in the office. The other thing is just because somebody comes with good sales skills doesn't mean they know how to write a brochure for you or to put on an event. So they be they quickly assimilate into becoming the jack of all trades. And the this focus piece is, I mean, it's just a huge big deal for me because the other thing that happens then is they say, well, we're not really growing business. I'm not sure it's really working for us because as you and I talked about early in the call, you need to be out there consistently. Um, you know, sales is a game of momentum. And at the end of the day, a lot of referral growth is sales. And if you're not in there with some level of consistency, and I don't wanna be a nag, but I need to be there frequently enough so that there's good memorability. And if they think of me, they think of the doctors I represent and we get some good momentum. So lack of focus is number one. I would say the second is not hiring right or well. There's, um, I think pharma for good or bad has sort of a profile of what the ideal salesperson should look like. And what I found in working with primary care physicians to earn their um, credibility and relationships and ultimately referrals is they care a whole lot more about how articulate I am, how I know the clinical service offerings, um, how I can carry on a conversation. So it starts with hiring well um, as, as a second one of those biggies. And I should reread your article again, Stuart, to see what else is on it. Uh, on the first point, you know, we have, I've, we've seen that over and over, and, and it's, these, they're both in the article. They're both at the top, by the way. So I'll link to it in the blog post so you can go back and find it. But, uh, and you'll just laugh. It's so funny. So the, on the first point, we see this all the time, and they're really interrelated. They hire the wrong thing. And now, in, uh, from a sort of compassionate standpoint, I understand why. Most hospitals and practices are clinically driven. So when you get into this skill set, They've never hired for sales before, so it's very difficult to hire either sales or marketing if you've never done it, right? How do yep. you know who's good? You have no idea. You, in fact, if anything, you have a negative stereotype about sales, so it's really, really hard. And this is why, you know, when we get somebody that uh, we refer to you, Chris, because I want them to get help with this. Because in the olden days, we used to get involved with this, and it's not, it's not at the core what we do. And I, I joke, it's like. Um, uh, swamp warfare for us. It's like it, it really needs to be handled by a true expert who does this all the time because, you know, here we're just trying to get help and we get, when we get shot at for trying to help out. So it really needs expertise on how, how do you find the right person? How do you hire the right person? How do you manage them? How do you incent them? How, um, and you, it's so much funny, again, hiring drug reps. Yes, I've seen a couple of great drug reps turn into physician liaisons, but it's the exception, not the rule. Everybody assumes well, this person's perfect. They've worked with neurologists before, but it's a different thing. And I don't know why, but we've seen far more failures of trying to integrate a drug rep into a physician liaison 
again, well, there's exceptions, but it's yeah. not a, it's not a home run. It's not guaranteed. One of the things we see with that, Stuart, is that drug companies are designed to teach um, their field reps their deliverables. And for most of the people who come into this liaison work, we need somebody who can go figure out what to sell and to be able to package it, whereas the pharma companies took care of all that. So I think that's one of the areas where we've seen some disconnects. Very interesting. And then the other part of it is the whole distraction thing, which is the number one thing for us too. It's just so funny because what happens is, um, you know, suddenly, well, this person's supposed to be getting doctor referrals and a couple of bad things happen. So number one, well, we don't really have anybody to handle the marketing coordination, so now you should do that too. And now they may, the, the problem with that is there's a lot of them. Number one, it distracts them from the core mission like you just said. Number two, the right salesperson will get frustrated really quickly because the right person loves selling. They love influencing. They don't want to be in the office. They want to be out selling and you'll eventually lose the good person because um, they'll hate it. Um, they, it's, sales and marketing are completely different skill sets. And again, I'm sure there's exceptions on this call and there's probably a listener or two that is the opposite of this, but I'm just telling you in big numbers, we see it over and over and over again. The good salespeople want to be in the field. Number two, um, like you just mentioned, like I can tell you how many times we're suddenly now, you know, well, you're supposed to know about search and optimization and copywriting and graphic design and all this stuff. So then they end up getting a bad product. Um, and by the way, the ROI, a lot of times they're doing marketing coordination, which can be bought for 15 or $20 an hour. A good liaison can bring in millions of dollars of revenue. That's a hefty, hefty uh, budget savings there by giving somebody a $20 an hour job compared to the millions of dollars they could be bringing in. And then the worst case scenario, I've seen this happen before, um, and I, I'll give you a couple of examples really quickly. One was we had a client that despite our recommendations hired a physician liaison and we knew they were in trouble the moment we heard, we, or we were sadly confirmed because this person was concerned they didn't have a big enough office. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the right person has to be in the field. They're not worried about the size of their desk. See, you're laughing out loud, but really we knew that. And then we've even seen what happens is, um, you know, like being a physician liaison is hard. And suddenly it's like, well, I don't really know about this, but air conditioning is nice. And, you know, so they suddenly find excuses to be in the office more and more. And then everybody's frustrated. They're, they're not getting doctor referrals. They, they're off mission. It, it just happens over and over and over again. It's exhausting. So I guess I feel heartened a little bit, Chris, to know we're not the only ones to see this, but it is really a common, common trap. And so we're not trying to be negative here, but we're just telling you, if you were to ask Chris or me, how are you going to set yourself up to fail? Have your physician liaison start writing brochures. It's, yeah. it's just, it happens over and over and over again. It's classic. So I'll defer you to the article. You can see if you, any more of those you want to agree about. So let's talk about technology. Um, another thing that, um, you know, this has evolved over time. It used to be spreadsheets, right? People would come up with spreadsheets and maybe they had ACT, which is an old, you know, the very first CRM program, uh, not um, up to today's standards. And now, you know, some people have uh, not only databases, but they have claims data. They're able to target the big referrals. Tell us about the evolution of that and, you know, kind of not, not everybody can afford those great big databases, but tell us a little bit more about the technology in terms of organizing, prioritizing, you know, keeping track and even, you know, tracking results. Yeah. And, and um, as you're describing, 
the most important thing you can have right now to set up your program is good data. And claims data is fabulous if you have it. If not, that ability to understand what you're tracking internally. So it can be if you're um, admitting clerks in a practice or doing a great job of who referred that patient, uh, there's some organizations where we have to look at zip code data, right? So the ability to start with good data, and we use data in a couple of ways. The most important on the front end, um, our use of data is to understand who's our target audience. So when we set up these programs, we say one liaison can handle about 300 doctors. So I want to make sure that I've got 300 of the right doctors for us to target to be able to grow volume. Um, so I need good data and a tool that I can put that in. If, if programs are larger than two people, we really suggest they have a PRM tool, a physician relationship management tool. Um, Sales, we have a Salesforce expert on our team, uh, but there are tons of options on the market for different PRMs. If not, the back end of this will allow me, number one, from a compliance vantage point to say what my conversations are about, but I also want to be able to track where I was so I can tie my activity to the actual results. So tools that allow us to do that, but all of it is really around good data sources so I know who to target and then on the back end I know whether I've had an impact and you know as you were describing what salespeople want good salespeople want to know that their efforts are working in the right direction for the organization so they want to be able to see if I'm spending this much time with Dr. A I want to know that I'm having an impact for you. You know, it's so important, all those things. And there's so many different things that come into the hiring of this and then managing, like I mentioned a moment ago, you know, incentivizing. And again, I totally understand that it's hard because if you've never done any of this field or any of this kind of work before internally, and you've got all clinical staff, and here the clinical staff is sometimes even jealous of this person. What do they even do? They're never here, right? It's very difficult. It's a cultural um, disconnect. But, um, you know, having the right technology, having the right management tools, being able to uh, evaluate the physician liaison, keeping them on track, and making, you know, incentivizing them and motivating them, I think is all really, really important. Um, let's talk about another. I'm just kidding. This is so we could spend hours on this stuff, right? And, um, yes. Uh, you know, like which physician relationship management program would fit our needs and all those kinds of things, which for those of you that are asked, curious about all those things, we'll um, provide contact info for Chris at the end of this meeting or at the end of this call. Another thing that's just kind of popped up that um, is staff. And, you know, you, you've been talking about wooing doctors, but in the real world, we joke about this, that at our seminars, like a lot of those decisions are made by staff. And a lot of times the um, uh, doctors in charge may say, this is our short list of approved vendors. But what happens in the real world when they're checking out, it's like, well, a doctor um, so-and-so says, these are all good doctors and they are, these are all top-notch doctors, but this one over here, she's really nice. <laughs> or this office over there, they really take care of you. Do you find that too, that the staff is important? And if so, how do you, integrate that into the physician relations yeah. uh, efforts? It's, it's a great question and it's a, it's a super good point. So certainly we um, always talk about with liaison teams the total office visits. So understanding 
each member of the internal practice team and what their roles may be. So I'll tell you, if I'm trying to grow um, an acute area, so cancer, heart care, neurosciences, even orthopedics, at the end of the day, the doctor will give that suggestion. You know, there's not a, a, a doctor out there that if somebody has a new diagnosis from a scan of cancer is gonna say, I'm gonna let my referral coordinator set you up. He's gonna wanna say, I'd like you to see Dr. Smith or one of his colleagues. Mary at the front desk will help you with that. So it's really important to understand by acuity who's driving those referrals. Now, if I'm in the world of radiology and imaging or rehab or hospice and home health, I believe that 99% of those decisions are made off that list and they're asking their staff to help with that. So I think one of the things we encourage liaisons to do is to have relationships with every single person in the practice, but to understand what you're trying to grow and who is the growth driver in that practice. Because you need to have relationships with everybody, but a lot of organizations that are trying to grow cancer care, if they never get a conversation with the doctor and they're only talking to office staff, I think they'll fall short. So that's actually another one of the, the mistakes people make, right? They get somebody too low a level. And where, you know, it's a specialized skill set. I often talk about when people ask me when we're speaking on this, you know, they, it's it's tell me about this Chris I see people they'll try to hire somebody for 15 or 20 dollars an hour to develop relationships with doctors and, I, and my point is how much does corporate America pay for someone that can um, interact with credibly a doctor motivate them um, help influence the referrals I mean these are six-figure jobs in corporate America but no they're gonna give up that and go work for you for a minimum wage or close to it yeah and and you know it's that old you get what you pay for the other part of that is that we'll see sometimes organizations that say well she's been a, a loyal employee we'd like you to come in and train her and and then sometimes we're spending six months trying to get somebody trained to be effective in a role and, and once they're trained, they'll certainly see they don't need to stay for that dollar value either. So I think it's a really important point. You know, the experts would say to be effective in this role, you need three things in equal parts. The first is to understand the product. And I think in most practices and hospitals, we, we have to figure out how to ask the questions and get that information, but they know it well. The second third is really about understanding the package, and that's the process. And how do things work in this practice or in this hospital? Who's my go-to person and what can we do and how do we bend and what's our access like, all of those things. And the third piece is selling skills. And we say to organizations, if you feel comfortable in teaching product and teaching package, then hire for great selling skills and teach the other pieces. But when you hire when they don't have any of the three, or they only understand process and they don't have clinical depth, then I think your journey to trying to figure out if you've got somebody of the right talent is really um, a painful one. And if they're really good, they're not gonna stay for what you're paying because every day they're walking into places where somebody's saying, hey, <laughs> I think you should come work for me. You know, Chris, I have to admit, I'm guilty of that. I had a, um, 
I was at my primary care doctor's office and there was a sale, a physician liaison. It was actually for a practice, not a hospital. And by the end, I talked to him. I said, hey, good job. You're doing this. He's like, and by the end of the meeting, he's like, so are you hiring? Because <laughs> these guys don't pay me anything. <laughs> it's was, was like, well, I don't really need what you're offering, but thank you, though. But it was pretty funny. And it's like, yeah, they're talking to people every day. Um, you know, it's funny, too. Like, I actually have a question for you that uh, maybe we could have asked earlier. But on the hospital level, these because I used the term earlier, physician relations, physician liaisons, business development. Do you find these terms are used the same way at every hospital or is it synonymously some places very different than others like to help people understand the landscape that they're dealing with yeah i think those are three three terms that are used interchangeably i would say that um, not all of the current physician relations liaisons or business development people are thinking about growth but i would tell you that most of the best practice organizations are sure shifting to to saying we need to see results for the um, the dollars that we're paying. So we need to see impact for um, the role instead of just good customer service. Totally makes sense, and that's you know everybody has that pressure today for sure. Now let's talk about scaling because you know you and I both work with multi-location hospitals and practices, and it's one thing when you're working with you know. A group practice in Des Moines, everybody's in the same location. Maybe they have a satellite they go to, but it's the same stat team. What happens when we have 20 states or 50 states? How to, what, what, are you, what kinds of things are you doing for your multi-location practices that might be, or hospital systems that are different when you have everybody you know, clo located close by? Yeah, and there is so much more of that, Stuart. Um, so not unlike doctors like to be with other doctors, Field staff benefit from a structure that has them working with other field staff. So almost always, it's better to have a centralized structure to help this team uh, rather than having everything done individually. At an individual level, when we look at those and when we work with those multi-state or multi-site systems, recommendation is to centralize so everybody is judged the same, evaluated the same, has the same tracking tools, has the same field expectations, and then they rely on their local sites, again, for that clinical depth, uh, some of the nuances of how things work here, and for support operationally with issues as they come up. So it's a little bit matrix, but I want the hard, solid line to a centralized person who also get sales because, you know, we talked about hiring and and hiring salespeople is humbling, you know, because they're selling you all the time. It's the same with managing salespeople. They will tell you what they think is the line of the day sometimes. And so having somebody who has accountability for salespeople, I think becomes an important benefit for programs who want to move to a best practice growth model. So uh, we're about to wrap up here. Are there any other comments or things that you think, geez, we really should have talked about or, um, you know, any topic at all? Like, well, we talked about recruiting, but we need to talk about this or what, what other issues should we be thinking about? I think we've really hit on the big ones. I just think there's a tremendous opportunity to use people for face-to-face. -face. If you're either in a, a specialty practice or a hospital or health system. But as you do it, give them the structure, the approach, 
the strategy so that they can be a part of the team and they can put your best foot forward with referring physicians. That's great, Chris. And you know, a lot of people, uh, when they talk to us as an agency, they say, why do you get involved in this? And again, as I said earlier, it's really important. Maybe another way to look at these things that, you know, tying this all together that Chris and I have been talking about, uh, because uh, our firm, as you know, is an agency. And these days we're hearing a lot about this topic you know, how can we support our field sales reps, whether they're pharma reps or hospitals? Uh, because during the COVID in particular, access has been cut back so far. So a lot of times, you know, I look at it as our firm can provide air war. We can stay, and I'm not a military guy, but it's a great analogy. You know, we can stay, we can provide air support to the field sales reps so that, and it scales really well. So the digital marketing in particular, whether we're advertising for them on a one-on-one -on -one basis with paid social media or they're advertising to them on different websites through programmatic or whether we're emailing them or doing marketing automation campaigns all those things are really really important and it's a big part of what we do as a company but you need the the ground troops the field sales force is where all the you know, just like in the world of the military that's where the real action happens so the two together are very very powerful and chris you know i feel like um, you're such an expert in this field and it's great to know that you're out there to help our clients because, you know, those real world things like recruiting the right people, managing the right people, coming up with a comp plan, figuring out how you, who's going to manage them internally, how are you going to um, evaluate progress and show ROI and which PRM should you use. You know, it, it's a long way from dropping off bagels, right, to actually make this into a, a protective or a... Um, successful, productive campaign. And so when you're looking for this, uh, if you're trying to sort through, like, how do we, you know, recruit these people? How do we manage them, train them? I highly recommend you give Chris a call. Um, Chris, uh, you know, what's your contact info for those of you that are interested or for our listeners who are interested? Yeah, probably the easiest is info at BarlowMcCarthy.com or phone number is 715 381-1171. Either way gets you to me or my team. Great. And that, that's actually something I wanted to bring up. Chris isn't by herself. She has a team of people who do this um, and also does the recruiting part as well as the training part. So uh, Chris's uh, website can give you lots more and obviously you can talk to Chris. Chris, terrific uh, call. I told you before, I don't know why, but I just love this particular area. It's one of my favorite sections in our seminar to teach. And even though we don't do a lot of the training directly, we just do it more to help our clients be successful. So it's great to have a partner for these kinds of engagements. So thank you for joining us today. You bet. And we love that. Thanks for letting me tell a little bit about the world of physician relations.